Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. I, I don't know about you, but I had a little, I don't know, a little sniffle going on up here just a couple minutes ago. Just very, very powerful things, especially when our voices are just brought together in such unity. It's just a, a beautiful thing. And, um, oh yeah, the kids are dismissed to go back with Pastor Becky. Well, this week is actually the close of the Lenten season. Uh, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. That's why you got these things to wave around. It's going to be participatory today. Um, but we're, um, we're ending this Lenten series called Were You There? Were You There? And in this Lenten journey, if you've been with us the last few weeks, then you've traveled with us. You've been on this journey together. And if you haven't, that's okay too. I'm glad that you're here with us. And if you'd like to look at previous messages, you, they're all on YouTube, all on Facebook. You can go check those things out and kind of catch up to the space. But even so, uh, we've been traveling to the places that Jesus visited visited. And these physical places, these places that you too may visit today, um, but we've also visited them in a way that, that we've also been in some way, looking at places like, like temptation and desolation in, in the wilderness, places where we've been seeking healing, where we've, we, our path has been kind of changed. We've walked through these different towns and cities and places and kind of compared them to places in our lives. And, and I think this time of year, this Lenten season, getting ready for Easter, um, there's something about it that certain memories may pop up for you, maybe growing up in church or certain experiences, even getting ready with family or certain traditions that you had. And, and even songs may kind of spark those, those types of memories. Well, one memory for me that actually this time of year sparked was um, something that happened about 15 years ago. It was um, not something that was planned. It, um, I think, you know, Easter changes the date every single, every year. But uh, it happened in, in April, I believe it was like the week after Easter. And um, I had a Bible study I was a part of. Um, this was back before I was a pastor. I was an environmental scientist serving um, uh, at church and very active in my church. And I attended this Bible study and I baked this Easter cake I brought this Easter, well, anybody that knows me, I'm not much of a cook or a baker, but I baked an Easter cake. It was a chocolate cake, and I brought it to this Bible study, and of course, everybody wanted to be nice, and what did they do? They ate it, right? And they joined in, and I took a nice little slice. Well, later that evening, I'm like, ooh, something ain't right here. You get the rumbling. I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, my, like my one shot. And like, the pastor was like leading the Bible study too, and I'm like, this is great, right? This is pretty awesome. Well, the next morning, it kind of turned into like not just rumbling, but pain. And kind of like, I was kind of like doubled over in pain. All of a sudden, I had a fever. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. Maybe that was something really, really bad that I stuck in that thing. I don't know. Um, but it kept getting worse and worse to the point that, that I could barely get it, even get out of bed. And I was trying to get in my apartment to the, to the bathroom. And I wound up passing out, winding up on the floor and being like, this is not a good sign. So I had my phone with me, called a friend of mine, said, said, you know, Ben, can you stop over here and like take me to the ER? Would that be okay when you're, when you're ready, when it's convenient? He's like, absolutely. So came over, picked me up, took me to the ER. Lo and behold, after a couple of CT scans and whatnot, I had a ruptured appendix, not due to the cake, <laughs> praise God. So if I'm showing up to your house, I'm bringing a cake, just don't think appendix. Um, <laughs> 
But it's a ruptured appendix, it was ready to rupture, and by the time the, it was already late that night, and I was like, you know, kind of like curled up like this. And the hospital I'd gone to, um, I was living in Maryland, kind of a, a, the eastern shore of Maryland. The hospital I'd gone to was kind of a community hospital, so they weren't really that equipped. They could do surgery if you really needed it, but you really didn't want to do surgery there. So I asked to be transferred to a neighboring town to their hospital, where the surgeon was actually available to remove my appendix that evening. So it took me on a nice little ambulance ride about a 25 minutes up the road. Well, my pastor at the time, he heard from my friend and kind of the you know, different conversations um, that I had gone to the hospital. And he didn't know that it was an appendix and that kind of thing. So, so the, I, I think it was like the next morning, he called over to the hospital, the original hospital that I had gone to, and he gave my name, you know, Chris Becker, you know, uh, I think she was here, is what, you know, what's going on, is she in a room, with that kind of thing. And the person on the other end of the phone said, she's not with us anymore. <laughs> his, he said his heart stopped probably at that moment and then she continued, she was transferred to another hospital. It's amazing, right? Misunderstanding. Fortunately, I was okay in that incident and everything turned out peachy. I was back on my feet in a couple of days. But um, misunderstanding, have you ever misinterpreted something? Have you ever misunderstood something? Has a misunderstanding ever caused you to miss something very important? Well, the place that we're visiting today is Jerusalem. And I think Jerusalem is the place of misunderstanding, the place of misunderstanding. And, and so we're beginning Holy Week, you know, week leading up to Easter. We're not there yet. We're not at Easter. Come join us next Sunday, by the way, 11 o'clock. Come early to get some pastries and coffee and hang out with us. Or have a little egg hunt afterwards for the kids. But we're not at Easter yet. This is the week that we remember the events that took place leading up to Easter, how Jesus, the Son of God himself, how he knew that he was coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And he was making his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where he knew that he would be arrested and eventually he would be put to death. But the journey starts with the day traditionally known as Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today. And I think it's a day that really has misinterpretation or misunderstanding written all over it. And so let me give you kind of a lay of the land as we set the stage for the story today. And what we're going to do is I'm going to take a giant map of Israel. It's on the screen, but don't necessarily look at the screen if you're here with us. If you're not here with us, this kind of gives you a gist of where we're going today. But I'm going to lay a giant map of Israel plop down right on top of us. So I want you to pay attention to these things because I'm going to ask you for a recall in a couple of minutes. So, so first off, so this direction over here, I don't think this is totally correct, but bear with me. This is going to be correct for us today. This is north. Okay, north. So if that's north, what direction is this? Okay, everybody is on today. That's great. Smart this morning. So, okay, so the back area, the back where our sound booth is, everybody turn around for a second, wave to our camera. You'll see the camera right above Wave, okay, the, where the camera is, that is the Mount of Olives. So think, Mount of Olives. And that's basically a small range of four hills that's just east of Jerusalem, just east of Jerusalem. Now, the stage here, the platform here, this is a place that's known as the Temple Mount. So Mount of Olives, Temple Mount. 
And between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, where you all are seated, is a place known as the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley. And these are the main things that I want you to be familiar with. But just for a couple minutes, we're going to take it a little bit further. Um, beyond the building. So if you would go straight back here and kind of bear right, if you would go straight back and bear right, um, those of you who are familiar with this setting, you know that we eventually have a parking lot. Maybe you've driven here and you're like, I didn't know they had a parking lot. Well, we do have a parking lot. It's right over here. And so where that parking lot is, is a village called Bethany. Bethany. That's the, a little village that's just east of the, what's in the back? Mount of Olives, good, good job. So just east of the Mount of Olives. And then on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, straight back where we have what's known as the Gathering Place, which is our kind of fellowship hall, social hall place, little modular building in the back, is another little town called Bethphage. Bethphage. And so that's where the Gathering Place is in our relationship here. But if we would even go a little bit further there and go slightly north, um, hey, Becca, you can plop down the next, the next map there. This will kind of give you a picture for where we're going. So if you go a little bit further to the best coffee place in town known as Brew Cumberland's Best. Yes, that is the town of Jericho. Jericho. So all this is in relationship. If you keep going, if you keep going and eventually hit the river, we're going to pretend that the Susquehanna today is called the Jordan River. That's the Jordan River. And then if you keep going north, if you go all the way up, you'll hit Galilee. Galilee, which for our relationship is Wormleysburg. You know, you want to stop in, in Dukes or if you want to go to Dockside Willies, that's where in Galilee. That's Wormleysburg. That's the region called the Galilee. So this is kind of like the layout. This is the layout for the story, for the events that are leading up to Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And, and so here's some of the events. So first off, in the village of, so I'm going to recall a little memory here, of Bethany, which is for us the parking lot, good, good job, is where Jesus, he raises a guy from the dead, his BFF named Lazarus, Lazarus. And he does that in Bethany for our purposes is in the parking lot. But after that, Jesus heads north to the Galilee, which is Wormleysburg, right? He heads up there, and he, after a while, he takes a little bit of a while there, he stays there, and that's the time that people are hearing that he had healed or brought Lazarus back to life, and the religious leaders, they're kind of conspiring, and they want Jesus dead, but Jesus, being smart, he heads south, and then he crosses to City Island and across the Jordan River over into Harrisburg, which is not really Harrisburg in this case, but he crosses the other side of the Jordan River and he kind of lays low for a while. And then after a while, after a while, God the Father speaks and shares that now is the time, now is the time for Jesus to head to Jerusalem. And so he crosses back across the river and he goes by way of Brew Cumberland's Best, which is Jericho. And on his way near Jericho, he sees these blind guys by the roadside. These guys that everybody had passed for, for week after week, probably year after year. And everybody heard that he's coming, and they're kind of spreading the word that he's raised this guy from the dead back in the town of Bethany. And all this stuff is happening, and the blind guys know who he is. Everybody else does. It's amazing. They can see who Jesus is. And then Jesus stopped by them. 
And Jesus pauses and asks them a very important question that you should have an answer for when Jesus asks you. And he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And they ask to see. And so Jesus, Jesus heals them and gives them sight. And, and so this is near Jericho, of course. So he heals them, and I imagine they join his entourage. They join the rest of the disciples around him. And then they go into the city of Jericho. Inside the city of Jericho, Jesus encounters a guy, a little short man, short was he, you know, a little petite guy, who was also a tax collector. And this tax collector, he couldn't see to, over the crowd in order to see Jesus, so he climbs up a tree. And everybody at that time hated him. This is just a reminder, by the way, um, April, I believe it's 18th this year, is coming very soon, so if you haven't filed, get your taxes done. But he was a, he was a tax collector, and he was hated because he was basically a traitor. He, worked for the, he was a Jewish guy who worked for the Romans. Everybody hated him for that purpose. But Jesus notices him. He sees him in the tree, and he calls down and says, hey, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Like, you, I'm coming to your house tonight. And so what does he do? Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' home for dinner, just as everybody else is grumbling and mumbling. Like, Why is he doing this? Like, he shouldn't be hanging out with people like him. And Zacchaeus is redeemed. Zacchaeus, it's said that, that Jesus tells him, today salvation has come to this house. But then after that, Jesus leaves Jericho. He leaves Brew Cumberland, and he heads for Bethany. He comes back this way. He heads for Bethany, heading west. He stops in Bethany to see who? Who just was risen from the dead? Lazarus, his buddy, his BFF, and sisters Mary and Martha. They're really, really close here. And he spends time with them and hangs out with them. But then he tells them it's time for him to go to Jerusalem. So he leaves there. He heads this way, but he starts to ascend the Mount of Olives. But before he gets to the total Mount of Olives, to the top, he enters the town of Bethphage. Bethphage, which is right back this way. A very, very important strategic village located on the Mount of Olives. And that brings us to Matthew 21. So one thing I want you to notice that's very, very important in Matthew 21 that is that everything that Jesus is doing, all the actions, all the events, they're all fulfilling prophecies that had been recorded in the Old Testament scriptures for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. They've been predicted that the Jewish people and people curious about the Jewish people and their faith, they've been reading these scriptures, they've been studying them, they even waited for them for years and years, especially after their people had been taken over first by the Babylonians, then conquered by the Assyrians, and now the Romans. They've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for basically a Messiah, which means kind of saving king, to come and to save them. So they arrive at Bethphage. Bethphage. So Matthew tells us, as they approach Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. 
darkness took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So they arrive at Bethphage. So usually, as was typical at the time, usually a conquering king, as in the case of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Romans, a conquering king would roll into town on a white horse or a stallion with their whole entourage of military officers with them. But Jesus, Jesus did things differently. He came as a humble king, riding on a, a colt of a donkey, docile, small, kind of a disappointment. But what he was doing here was fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, which was written about 500 years before Jesus, generations before Jesus. And so, looking at the scripture, don't you think it's a little weird that, that Jesus tells his disciples just to like walk up, go into town, go into Bethphage, walk up, and take somebody else's transportation and tell them the Lord needs it, and they're just going to like let it go. So if you're with us a couple weeks ago, Jesus did kind of the same thing with Peter's boat, right? And I told you it would be like us after church, just go up to the nicest car that's out there, just see if it's unlocked, get in, somebody comes up to you, what are you doing? You just, in this case, say the Lord needs it, right? See how that would go. Jesus seems to be about grand theft transportation, doesn't he? Well, it's a little bit different. Here's the thing. The rabbinic tradition suggests that because of the prophecy in Zechariah, that everybody in Bethphage, everybody in the town knew that the coming king would enter the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives riding on a donkey. So in the village, in the village, they actually kept a donkey and a colt ready for this for years and years and years and years, especially at Passover, by the way, which was the time that was prophesied as the time when the Messiah, the saving king, would come into the city and some would suggest that Jesus knew this. So the person keeping the donkey and the colt would understand if somebody came and said, the Lord needs this. So what do they do? They take cloaks and they put them on the donkey and Jesus gets on and starts his way ascending the Mount of Olives, which is the back here <clears throat> where the camera is, where the screen is. And then he ascends and then descends into what? Where you are all seated? The Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley. So they cross the Kidron Valley. And as they're crossing, imagine the people, the entourage grows and grows. But these are not military people that are following. They're normal everyday people like you and me. And Matthew tells us this, a very large crowd <coughs> spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest heaven! So this is so important here. They're shouting this <clears throat> at the top of their lungs. Why? Well, they're basically doing a cover song. They're doing a cover song here. They're doing a cover song of a psalm, a psalm, which is really a song in the Bible. The book of Psalms is a book of songs. And there were specific psalms that were written for pilgrims that were coming to Jerusalem. 
who would sing at Passover time specifically, which was taking place right then as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And specifically Psalms 113 to 118, they're known as what's called the Hallel, and that was included in Passover celebrations. But now they're singing from the Psalms as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, cheering these words as a fulfillment of Psalm 118, which says, Lord, save us, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He's made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal possession, procession up to the Lord's, the horns of the altar. So this is powerful stuff that's happening. And not in Matthew's gospel, but in another gospel, it's recorded that Jesus is weeping here. He's crying. He's weeping as he's riding the donkey in fulfilling the prophetic scripture. And you know what, guys? Most of that crowd, nobody had, they didn't have a clue. They didn't really have a clue of what was really going on here. Some were caught up in the fanfare. Some were caught up in the mob mentality, just join the masses. Some were caught up in the energy, the fire. And they were cheering, Hosiana, Haruka, Bob, Shem, Adonai, Hosiana. And they were waving these. They were waving these palms. Someone should get yours out for a minute here. If you're online, you can pretend to and wave with us. They wave, just wave it. You know what the palm branch really stands for? Totally missing the point. Amen to that. We're going to close now. now. Uh, you, can, you can put it down. But it basically, the palm branch is a symbol of totally missing the point of what Jesus was coming to do. Hosanna meant save us now, like right now. Like literally rip their heads off and take over. They thought, here's our king. Here's our king coming to kick butt, who's going to rescue us from the Romans, who's going to make our nation great again. But you know what the palm branches were, which Jesus was not about? They were a political symbol, a political symbol that was associated with a revolution, the Maccabean Revolution centuries before that was about seizing power with power. It had nothing to do with what Jesus was doing at all. They completely misunderstood what Jesus was doing, what God was doing right in front of them because they projected their own agenda on who God is, on how God operates on what they believed how God would work and what, that he would do what they wanted. Have you ever done that? Projected that on God? Sometimes what we think our biggest problem is is not what God knows our biggest problem is. We think that God should deliver us from everything, but they turned what was a beautiful fulfillment of scripture that people have been waiting centuries for they turned it into nothing more than a political rally. The palm branch is a symbol of people missing the point because of our own agenda. And I believe Jesus was weeping because Jesus, this is my own words, it's probably not Jesus' words, but Jesus was thinking, I love them, but they're idiots. <laughs> Richard Rohr says this, he says, it's the ashes that we remember that were on our forehead on Ash Wednesday. They were created from the burnt palms of last Palm Sunday, new beginnings invariably come from old, fake, wrong things that are allowed to die. Jesus goes on. 
and makes his way through the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley looks kind of like this. Terrace gardens on the sides, there's fig trees, there's all kinds of growth, olive trees, grapes. But as you, you make your way down the slopes, you enter into this valley that's filled with, you know what? Talk about death, thousands of tombs. Thousands of tombs, a massive graveyard. People who were buried facing east towards the Mount of Olives because another prophecy said that on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And basically, everybody was facing east, waiting for the coming Messiah, and everybody wanted to be first in line, so they were kind of stacked. You had different bodies that were laid in different burials. And, um, you know, something, I was thinking about this, some things never change, right? Everybody wants to be first all the time, from Disney to Aldi to wherever. But here he is, Jesus, he's entering the city. And you can cut the tension with a knife. Because the Jews, or the Romans, knew that the Passover time was already tense, because the Jews were expecting a Messiah then, and there were extra guards who were stationed to squash any rumblings of a Messiah like a bug. And they did, many years. And the Romans actually built a fortress called the Antonia Fortress, is what it looks like, to look down on the Jews to the valley and take care of anything in the valley and squash it. And the religious were very unhappy too, though, because Jesus is beginning to make a scene. There's a lot of traffic, and it's Inconvenient time, it's Passover. So Jesus enters Jerusalem. Matthew goes on and says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And they're relating back to Bethany because that's where, that's where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus. They're, they're rolling into the Jerusalem temple complex at this point, and Jesus enters the temple, and his first public act is to do what? He sees money changers selling sacrifices to the immigrants coming for Passover, taking advantage of people, and people could only pack so much at that time. You need to have your sacrifices ready. So Jesus is mad. He entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and money changers and benches of those selling and said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Quoting Jeremiah 7, 11, The whole thing is a fulfillment of scripture. Jesus here wasn't cleansing the temple. What he was doing, he was shutting it down. He was shutting it down that if you're sick of man-made religion, then Jesus is for you. This is about Jesus as, as the Son of God, as a person, as the Messiah. And you imagine that, that as Jesus is doing this, everybody's looking, he's toppling his tables. They're still thinking he's getting warmed up, right? He's getting warmed up, he's gonna take things back. But then what happens? You know who comes to him? The lame and the blind. People, people. And the religious leaders are mad. They interpret him as a threat. He's threatening the way of life that they're used to and their control. Jesus threatens those things for people, but they too miss what Jesus wants to bring them. And you know what they do? They join the plot to kill him. And then on, there's a cascade of events. They're all listed in your program here, but going from, going from that time of toppling tables to spending time with disciples, 
and then to a cross. And imagine this, in less than a week, in five days, the Messiah who entered Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling everything that had been prophesied, coming with the promise of a new way of life and a beginning of God's kingdom here, was arrested in the dark of night, abandoned by his friends, put on trial in a kangaroo court, and sentenced to death on a cross. And it wasn't until later, 2020 high in sight, that everybody realized what they had just missed. So whether we're in a good place or a bad place, what are we missing? Don't miss what God's doing. Are you there? Were you, were you there as we just sung? Are you there right now? Could you be missing what Jesus is doing right in front of you? Is there a disappointment? Have you ever thought that you may be wrong? That God is not acting according to your plan? Might we be missing the good news right in front of us? What have you been waiting for God to save you from that it doesn't seem like he's saving you from? But what if he's doing something else? Because in Jerusalem, the place of misunderstanding, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And those of us who know the rest of the story know that later it does. But in this moment that we stand in Holy Week and even in the weeks of our lives, when it's easy to misunderstand what God is doing, that's where faith and trust come in. And later that week, Jesus was gathered with his disciples as a part of a meal. And we celebrate this weekly here at Table Life Church. Uh, but this is not meant to be just motions that we go through, but it's a remembering. And even the good news is that even when we don't get it, even when we do look back and have 2020 hindsight, when we blew it, when we messed up, the good news is that in spite of all that, that didn't stop God from working in the work that Jesus was doing on the cross. That didn't stop him from opening the gates of eternity. That did not stop him from initiating his kingdom here, even though the people that were even closest to him didn't get it because he offers grace. He offers us grace. And that's what this table is about, that we come together to receive grace and be reminded of God's grace. That we pray not to lose sight of what he is doing, but we also know that as we approach this table that we are forgiven. We are forgiven and we can take those burdens, that the Lord takes those burdens off our shoulders and we can know that we are forgiven.